0: Good morning and it's certainly wonderful to be here with you this morning. For those of you that are visiting with us, we certainly want to extend a grateful thank you for being here. We pray that the things that we've done have been uplifting and encouraging. I pray that what I present to you will be beneficial in some way with your relationship with God. The last time I spoke, we were looking in Romans chapter 3 and that was I spoke to a camera, not to you, and that was the most uncomfortable thing I believe I've ever done in my life. I got a newfound respect for people that have to do that for a living. My poor son, I had to call him up here so that he could sit behind the camera so I would have somebody to interact with because I can't interact or do this without having faces to interact with. It was miserable. I'll just put it like that. But we were talking about Romans and we looked at Romans and understanding that uh, all men, whether Jew or Gentile, were declared totally depraved. That the Jew didn't have any advantage over the Gentile. The only advantage that you would really consider that that they had that Paul talked about was the fact that they had the law. They had the prophets. They had those things that they should have been able to reach to and pass on. But Paul puts an exclamation point in all of this by pointing out that all have been declared sinners. He quotes the psalmist there in Romans chapter 3 when he says, there is none righteous, no not, not one. And we kind of took a couple of things away from that. First and foremost was this absolute need for Christ that the law wasn't justifying anybody, that there was an absolute need for Christ. The second thing was that bloodlines really don't matter when it comes to your salvation and your relationship with God. And I don't want to denigrate any type of generational heritage you have in Christ or in His kingdom, don't get me wrong. As a matter of fact, I would tell you that uh, if you've had parents and grandparents that have passed on a heritage of Christianity and teaching you godly principles, the next time you see them, go hug hug their neck. Because as someone that came from the outside and didn't become a Christian till they were an adult, it's not easy. Having to learn those basic principles in which you had all of your life, and as I've become a parent, as I have become a parent... Those things are even more difficult. You're trying to find things out in the dark. So I don't want to denigrate any of that. That's all important, and that's wonderful and grateful, that, and you should be grateful that you have that. But when it comes to salvation, that is between you and the Lord and your relationship with Christ. So we need to understand that. Before we go on, though, I want us to look at Romans from an overall picture, and I want us to understand a few things. If you look at a breakdown of Romans, it's really simple to look at Romans and break it down into five basic categories throughout the, and it's, it's a, a letter that was written that Paul moves from thought to thought and pivot, pivots through these different things. First and foremost, as he goes through the first few chapters of Romans, he's discussing sin and pointing out sin. He then pivots and starts talking about salvation in the passage that we talk about today, in Romans chapter 6, he pivots to sanctification. In Romans chapter 9, he, talk, he pivots to God's sovereignty. And then there at Romans chapter 12, he, and closing the rest of the book out, he's talking about service and your relationship and service, whether it would be with government officials or amongst other people. And as I was thinking about this, and Jason gave his lesson on Romans chapter 6, one of the things that I realized is, and he brought out was that In Romans chapter 6, there at the very beginning, he says, know you not that as many of us were baptized in Jesus Christ, we're baptized into his death. And he points out there that that's not a command. I'm not saying there's not a command to be baptized, but Paul at this point is not commanding people to be baptized. He's making a statement of assumption that these people have already done this. It's implied that they already know what it is and that they've already done this, and he's giving them greater understanding to what they've already done. And as I realized that, and I thought about that, it kind of messed my entire plan of teaching in Romans up. I had this great plan because a while back I'd gone through and looked at all the different questions that Paul asks in Romans. Paul asks somewhere close to 60 questions in Romans. I thought, I can do a sermon series on all the questions that Paul asked. But this one question made me realize that I can't do that because everything from Romans chapter 3 leads up to Romans chapter 6. And there's a lot of questions in there, but I don't want to take the questions on their own and leave them out because it's very important when we look at Romans to look at it a little bit like a clock. This is a watch, and I want you to notice all these gears in this watch. And what would happen if one of these gears didn't work? Your watch wouldn't work, would it? You know, one of the unfortunate things about Romans is that it's been used to teach some really ungodly doctrines. And it all began in the 1500s when Martin Luther nailed his 95-point thesis on the door of the Catholic Church and said that all that matters was grace and faith, and that was it. And that impacted even modern Christianity to a point where we've removed all of the different gears of salvation and said only these two gears matter. We don't need obedience. We don't need baptism. We don't need all of these different gears. We only need a certain gear. And if you would think about all of these gears being represented in that salvation, if one of them isn't there, it doesn't work. Now, some of those are impen- uh, upon God, and some of those are upon us. But at the end of the day, we have to have all of it. What I believe this has done has kind of created a pendulum effect for, for me as a teacher, is I really haven't taught a lot in Romans because of that. Because I, I don't want people to think that, I'm being swayed by, into some sort of Calvinist doctrine because I don't talk about baptism every time I talk about faith. And I don't talk about baptism every time I talk about grace. And I don't talk about baptism every time I talk about mercy. Because in the context of Roman, as Paul's going through Romans chapter 3 into 4 and into 5, and he gets into Romans chapter 6, he pivots to that point of baptism. And I think it's important that as we go through, we understand what Paul was trying to drive home to those who he was writing to. And so I'm changing my approach to what I'm doing, and I've essentially, I guess I've got a probably a good, I don't know, two-year sermon series ahead of me on Romans, because I'm not, I, I started thinking, well, I can't stop at Romans 6, because I've got to get to Romans 9, because Romans 9 is my favorite chapter in the Bible, so I've got to get to Romans 9, so we're going to just do all of Romans. That's a long way of putting that we're talking about Romans for the next two years. So, as we get back to the context of what we were, Paul was doing, Paul is driving home the point that the Jews and the Gentiles were both guilty before God. He says in Romans chapter 3, and verse 19, Now we know that what things whatsoever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, For by the law is knowledge of sin. Because of the law, we were all declared sinners. Romans, or excuse, Jews and Gentiles alike were declared sinners. And all the things of the law declared that we were guilty before God. There was no justification in the law, and that's what Paul is driving home to them, that they needed to understand that there wasn't justification in the law, that the Pharisees had tried to do that, and the Jews were trying to say, The law is what justified them. Their lineage in Abraham and all of that, that's what justified them, not Jesus Christ. And the point was is that the law had a purpose, and it had an intention in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 24. It says, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. The law wasn't justification. It was to point you to Christ. It was to point the Jews to Christ. It was to point us to Christ. You know, whenever you look in a mirror and you see that your face is dirty, do you take the mirror off the wall and wipe your face? No. It just pointed out that your face is dirty. You go find something to clean your face. That's what the law did. It pointed out that we were dirty, that we were sinful. Now we needed to go look at how to clean it up. And it pointed us to Jesus Christ. And that's what they were completely overlooking was the fact that Christ was integral to their salvation, that they had to have Jesus Christ, and apart from them, there was no justification. And he goes on to to nail those points home over the next uh, few chapters or few verses. Next we notice that he turns and uses the word but, a conjunction that says that there's going to be a change of thought. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested or made known being witnessed by the law and the prophets even the righteousness of god which is by faith of jesus christ unto all and upon all upon all that believe for there is no difference for all have sinned and come short of the glory of god jews gentiles mankind we are sinners we've seen that fact repeated all the way back to romans chapter 1 And it's been very clear that what Paul is trying to point out, and he drives this point home continually that we are all sinners and that we are lost without God and without Jesus Christ. He drives home that there is no matter of merit or work that we can do that we can deserve God. We cannot establish our own righteousness. We can't establish righteousness apart from God. We definitely can't establish righteousness in the law. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20, Christ says, For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. And I find that passage interesting because the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees was a false righteousness. It was a righteousness that was in their ability to do things. It was a righteousness that was rooted in outward appearance. It was a righteousness that was rooted in praise from other people. It was a righteousness that was rooted in what Christ referred to as them being dirty and tainted on the inside and looked clear and white on the outside. It was a righteousness at the end of the day that was vain and empty. But you know, that was the standard that they had at that time. That was what they thought righteousness was. And Christ said, you need to go beyond that. Now hindsight being twenty twenty, and Paul, what Paul is revealing, it's much greater than that. It's much greater than this corrupt righteousness that they had in the Pharisees. It's now you need to deal with your sin and you need to separate yourself from that law and validating yourself in that law. And I find that passage very interesting as we look at our lives. We'll never be right with God by the virtue of our own efforts. You cannot make it on your own. And I want you to think about in our modern world, in modern Christianity, how important that is. How oftentimes we need to do everything on our own. Apart from anybody else, without assistance. Because we need to feel like we earned it and we did it. And that has been driven into our mentality as Christians to think that I did it, I owned it, I got it. And we lay aside the sacrifice that Christ made, and we try to justify ourselves just based upon our lives and our conduct. I want you to notice that Paul says that all have come short of the glory of God. They've come short of the glory of God. God has made us, allowed us to be made righteous because of Jesus Christ. He's allowed us to be made righteous through our faith in Jesus Christ. I think Jason put it pretty nice this morning when we were talking about this, is leading up to Romans chapter 6, Paul is clearly driving home a point that At the end of all of it, God wanted to give us salvation. He wanted to give us redemption. Not because of us, but because He loved us. And He's driving this point home and wants us to know that. And in doing so, we have freedom. Now, this is a passage that Paul has been really condemning uh, the Jews and their justification through the law But as you go to Romans chapter 3 and 24, this should be something that's very comforting to you and I. When he says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The word justify means to declare one not guilty or to make one as he ought to be. And the sense of what Paul is talking about now in God's power and His grace, he declares us to be righteous or he declares us to be worthy of redemption because of Jesus Christ. The word redemption means to be set at liberty. We've been set at liberty because of Jesus Christ. And the word freely means without cause. Not anything that I have done to earn it or deserve it that freely God loved me and gave His Son for us. In Romans, in verse 25, He says, whom God had set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past, through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, His righteousness that He might be just and the justifier of Him, which believeth in Jesus. That word propitiation means an appeasement or a satisfying. It's very important that we understand that God set Jesus forth to be an, a, a propitiation or an appeasement for our sin. And we have faith in him and through his blood, that's what declares our righteousness. That's how God declares us righteous, not because of anything we've done, but because of Jesus Christ. Because of what was set forth and paid on your behalf. He is both the just and the justifier. He is just as a Savior and He is our justifier. Kind of Reading this and going back and forth in the questions that one might ask in in this situation, the question I thought, if I was on the other side of the aisle in this, is how could God be righteous whenever he had passed over previously committed sins? You know, in the Old Testament law, in the Old Testament being obedient to those commandments and the sacrifices was They had the the atonement sacrifice, a yearly sacrifice, which they sacrificed for their sin, but their sin wasn't forgiven. Their sin was rolled forward. Every year, your sin was rolled forward because, as Paul says in, in Hebrews, the blood of bulls and goats couldn't forgive sins. That you had to have a pure sacrifice. And that's the reason that when you ask that question, well, how could He be righteous whenever He passed over sins? Well, the reason was, He knew that Christ would one day bear the sins for the world. That Christ would be that pure and perfect sacrifice and that He would bear the sins of the world for us. In Hebrews chapter 9, and verse 15, He says, And for this cause He is the mediator of the New Testament, speaking of Jesus, and that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they were which called might receive the promise of internal, eternal inheritance. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament. The old went away, and Christ was the mediator of, some, the mediator of something new. That through his death, there was redemption. And it was redemption to all, And because the blood in bulls and goats was not good enough. You needed the pure sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And God knew that in setting forth this law because it made made us understand that there's nothing that we can do. There's no amount of sacrifice of blood that was going to be good enough. That you needed pure, holy blood. And that was only brought by Jesus Christ Himself. And we have forgiveness because of that. He is the justifier, the one that makes others righteous. Through the grace of God, we have redemption because He allowed Christ to justify us. He's a propitiation. Because of Him, we have forgiveness. Without Him, we don't have justification. Without Him, we don't have forgiveness. And that's something that the Jews were looking over was this law, was, which they thought had all of the things they need justification in. And Paul says, you're completely missing it. Because the justification was only for those that had faith in Jesus Christ. In verse 27, where is boasting then? It is excluded by by what? Law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, seeing it is one God, which shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through faith. One cannot boast. What are we going to boast in? We can't boast in our works as you've done. You think about what Christ said to his disciples. So likewise, when you shall have done all those things which are commanded... You say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that, which was our duty to do. We can't boast in any of these things. You're boasting in a law. You're boasting in something that is no longer valid. What are you boasting in? The reality is the law of faith. That is where our praise comes in. That is the proclamation in which we proclaim to others. Is he the God of the Jews only? He asks this question, answers it with another rhetorical question. Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? He's the same God of both Jew and Gentile. I want you to go all the way back to Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew and the Gentile. And multiple times throughout these first three chapters, he's put both of those people in the same group, Jew, Gentile, both in the same pool. And at this point, he finally gets down to what it's all about. There is no difference. He's the same God over the Jew as is is the Gentile. What's amazing about this is there were so many times throughout history that the Jews had all of this information. They were the one that should be pro- proclaiming this good news at this point in time. Think about all of the information that they had at their fingertips. They had the law. They had the prophets. They had the promise of what was coming in a Messiah and all of the things that they should look forward to. And whenever it was right in front of their face, instead of saying, this is the Messiah, they murdered him. And said, I want the law. I want these sacrifices over a justified Messiah. It reminds you of Jonah. When God said to Jonah, go to Nineveh and tell those people to repent. Nineveh was Gentiles. Jonah didn't want to do it. He went the opposite direction. Through a miracle, God got Nineveh, Jonah to Nineveh. Jonah preached his message, and guess what? They repented. Was Jonah happy? The Bible tells us that Jonah sat on the side of the road and pouted because of repentance, because people obeyed God's word. The Jews were acting just like Jonah. They had God's Word. They knew His will. They should have been proclaiming it from the mountaintop about all of the wonder things, wonderful things that God could do for these people, Gentiles alike. And instead, we, they said, we don't want you to have a part of it. We don't want you to be any part of us in any way. You dirty Gentiles, stay over there. They wanted that wall that was used to be in the temple. That wall that the temple, the Jews, the Gentiles couldn't go on that side of. That is what they wanted in salvation. And even those that proclaimed Christianity, they still wanted that wall, that barrier between Jew and Gentile. It's very important that they needed to understand there was no barrier, that there was no wall. And we need to understand that exact same thing. Doesn't matter where we came from. Doesn't matter our lineage. Doesn't matter how long we've been in the church. The God that we serve is the God of all mankind. There is no barrier. There is nothing between us. There is no color of skin. There is no blood difference. We are all before God and justified through Jesus Christ alike. We need nobody else other than Jesus Christ and him sacrificed for our sins. There was this constant need to deal with the false doctrine of Jews versus Gentiles throughout Romans and throughout the entirety of the New Testament. I want you to think about that. How many times Paul has to deal with With this subject. And Peter has to deal with this subject. Almost the entire book of Romans, Paul deals with this subject. A large portion of the book of Galatians, Paul deals with this subject. He calls them foolish Galatians. Who tricked you into thinking this way? A large portion of Ephesians, he has to deal with it. Almost the entire book of Hebrews, he has to deal with it. On and on and on, you have to deal with this subject of the difference between Jew and Gentile, and that they were all in the same pot, that they had all the same salvation, that they were all sacrifi- or had all redemption because of the blood of Christ. So obviously it was something that was pretty important that they needed to understand. And what amazes me about that, though, is today there are so many people that would go right back. And want to strap themselves to that law. There's so many people that would love to go back and say, you know, these are the things that we needed to be obedient to in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant. And we need to bind ourselves to that thing when Christ, all along, is standing going over here, what did I die for? I died so that I could be your Redeemer. That so you can be justified through me, not some laws. He talks about circumcision versus uncircumcised in the book of Romans, and those are references to the difference in people, the Jew and the Gentile. In Colossians chapter 2, and verse 11, it says, "...in whom also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands." and putting off the body of the sins of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also you're risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. So as Paul compares, or not compares, contrasts circumcision as people in Romans and Colossians, he's talking about a circumcision made without hands. A circumcision done by Christ. A circumcision done in the putting off the body of the sins of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And he says that circumcision, what was done was being buried in baptism with Jesus Christ. Cutting away the filth of the flesh, the sins that were on us. Not Jew, not Gentile, but everyone. Anyone that would be obedient to that gospel. Interestingly enough, Paul puts a statement at the end of Romans chapter 3 and verse 31 that probably incited some people some anger when he said this. Do we then make void the law through God for through faith? God forbid, yea, we establish the law. I want you to think about what Paul says here. Did we nullify the law because of faith? No. That means we've upheld it. And you surely, the Jews that were reading this were like, what? How did you uphold the law in faith when you don't follow the law? How is that possible? What that means is that by... Being faithful in Jesus Christ, the law was upheld because it was put in its proper place. It was put in the proper place in that it was supposed to do the job in which it had already done. So yes, my faith in Jesus Christ upholds or establishes the law. Because as Paul has pointed out, Jesus Christ is greater than this law. And this law was all part of a plan to get people to Jesus Christ. It doesn't do any good to build a road to somewhere that doesn't have an end. Or to proclaim that a road was going somewhere, and then whenever you get to the end of that road, it's not actually where you said it was going. And if the law was supposed to take people to justify people and take them to justification, it never got them there. And there lies what Christ did. It doesn't mean that God abandoned the law or that Jesus Christ didn't regard the law. As a matter of fact, when you go back to Isaiah, it says there, the Lord is well-pleased For his righteousness' sake, he will magnify, speaking of Christ, he will magnify the law and make it honorable. So Christ wasn't disregarding the law. It didn't mean that sinners, after they were justified, have no regard for the law. Paul definitely didn't say, I have absolutely no regard for the law. Time and time again, he understood the principles of the law and what they were supposed to do. He didn't say, I didn't have a regard for the law. Justification by faith doesn't mean there's a disregard for obedience. In Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 9, it says, Being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. And this is where the contrast between the Jews and modern-day Christianity has come in. And it's a difference. Because of we don't have to be justified by the law then we don't, also, we don't have to be obedient. Because we can lift these passages out of Romans and make them be what we want to be, and I can live my life the way I want live to live it, and I'm justified by God because Romans 3 said that I am. Which was the furthest from the truth. Romans three, four, and five is probably some of the misinterpreted, misused chapters in the book of the, in the entirety of the Bible. To get people to a point in which they can live the life in which they want to live, they can sin as willfully as they want to sin, and still people have people think that they're okay with God. That obedience isn't necessary. When the reality is, whether it was the law of Moses under the Old Testament, whether it's the will of Christ under the New Testament, God has always called for obedience. In Matthew chapter 28, as Christ is giving His disciples His final commandments, He tells them, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Obedience was at the end of all of it. And I find it amazing that there's so much of Romans that's lifted to use the principle of grace and faith alone, but bookended in the uh, bookended in Romans. It opens up in Romans chapter one and verse five, and it closes in Romans chapter sixteen and verse twenty-six. Both of those passages are calls for obedience. So, booking it in Roman and all of these wonderful principles that are taught and things that are lifted out so that people can try to have a relationship with God apart from what he wants us to have and apart from obedience and all of that, Paul's saying you need to obey. Justification through Jesus Christ doesn't mean that you no longer have to be, be obedient to Christ. The mistake made by the Jews was that they believed their obedience in an Old Testament law and animal sacrifices was all they needed, number one. Number two, they failed to heed the very thing that they thought established them in justification, and before God. They failed to heed the law and the prophets, which should have pointed them to Jesus Christ, which should have pointed them to the fact that they are not justified in this law, that they needed Jesus Christ. The mistake that many make today is believing that an acknowledgement of what Christ did is enough. That I don't have to make changes to my life. That obedience isn't necessary. The second thing was failing to heed the gospel and the apostles. And that faithful obedience to Jesus Christ. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That it had power. It had the power of salvation to the Jew and the Gentile. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul said the gospel was the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the good news. And he talked about how that they had been obedient to that good news. It's amazing that we can read passages like that and go, I'm okay with God if I'm not obedient. When he proclaims that you have to be at least, at least obedient to good news. Later in Romans chapter 6, the passage we read earlier, the obedience to that good news is what Paul illustrates at the end of all of this. You're probably going to get sick of Romans chapter 6 because everything I'm doing is kind of pointing to that point, getting to that point as Paul pivots to sanctification. Know ye not that as many of you were baptized, into Jesus Christ, were also baptized into His death. He goes on to tell them that likeness of being baptized into His death, burial, and resurrection. They had to be obedient to it. And they understood that because it was something that they had done based on the question that Paul had already asked them. Here's a greater truth to that, what you did. The question this morning has, have you been obedient to the gospel? Have you been obedient to the good news? We can proclaim Christ all day, but apart from obedience to him, are we really his? Sometimes we also have problems we have struggles in life there are things that we need help from other people we can help you with those things by offering up prayers on your behalf if you would find yourself in either of those groups this morning we would ask that you would come forward as we sing the song that's been selected